0: The Swancast podcast is recorded, mixed, and produced on the poop deck of Gravy Jones Locker in the heart of Columbia, South Carolina. On this show, we talk about the gaming hobby and random fandom. Opinions on this show are... Ooh, uh, blur,
1: blur, bleh, bleh. Domo congelado, it's no gra... blah, blah,
0: blah. I'm Toast, your cobalt announcer. And now, prepare to delve into the mind of your host... John Memas! Partner, why don't I pour you a sarsaparilla? It's about high noon here in the Swarmcast Saloon. Never mean only one thing.
2: It's about time for a quick draw. Bang, bang. Bye, bye. Bang,
3: bang. Bang,
2: All right, so we're here for um another quick draw. This is our
3: pew, 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 pew. Pew, 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 pew. pew, pew.
2: This is another um, game for our quick draw exchange. And this time, our GM in particular, what is... Calvin Korn. So, Calvin, what game was picked for you and who
4: picked it for you? Uh, the game that was picked for me was Clockwork Dominion, or, or as John called it, Clockwork uh, Colon Dominion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the company is Reliquary Game Studios, uh, and Tim is the one who picked this
2: for me. Okay. So, so who played, um, so as you said, Calvin obviously ran it. So who played in this game? Not me. Okay, no, I'm kidding. I totally did. So Tim played. Matthew played. All right. And myself, John, I played.
5: And Ruby. And we also mm. had another guest who is not going to record with us, Needy.
2: So, Calvin, uh, what's the general gist of Clockwork Dominion? <clears throat>
4: The general gist of clockwork dominion is, uh, the setting is 1896. The world, um, started in chaos. Essentially the uh, deity for all intense purposes, the, the maker, the maker, uh, created clockwork and just the universe in general, um, but something is going wrong. Something is going wrong, and uh, the clockwork is beginning to fail. The chaos is starting to seep back through and take over, and so you have m- <clears throat> multiple sides of how things are, go- are happening. You've essentially the people, the who the players play as, who are trying to keep the chaos and and the world from falling apart and figure out why these things are happening and then you also have others who are essentially encouraging chaos and and this rise of the fall of mankind, essentially.
5: So the setting, though, is kind of Victorian-age It's a Victorian steampunky, steam yeah. Clockwork-type thing. So it, it's it's kind of like an alternate history. Right. But it's not Earth. It's a place called Clockwork. Correct?
4: Yeah. Yeah, basically.
5: Even though it's set in, like, Edinburgh. and, yep. So it's set in Irish, England-type setting.
4: Right. Okay. Victorian. And in, in fact, the Queen Victoria is the okay. ruling power.
2: Okay. So Southern Calvin, um, as the GM for this game, how easy was it to sort of pick up, and about how much prep time did it take?
4: It's 40-something pages long. This That's a pretty long quick start. I mean, it, it's a fairly long quick start. 22 pages of it are the rules. Oh, wow. Yeah. So th- there's a lot here for 22 pages. I feel like they could have simplified it for, a, especially for a quick start, a, a lot easier. I feel like there were a lot of things that were repeated. So, how long did you spend learning it? Because uh, I know like, when we were cooking yeah. out,
5: you spent about an hour ish reading. It was over an hour ish,
4: and and I had already read it once before. Okay. It took me about two hours to read it then. So all in all, three hours of. Reading through it to try and make sure that.
5: And you did cut out and laminate some cards.
4: <coughs> and I did cut out laminate cards, which took a.
5: 30 minutes. Probably or another so.
4: 30 minutes.
2: Okay, because that was, that was a different.
5: But that uh, is totally, that
2: was a personal
4: yeah, preference. Yeah, that was personal preference. You probably could just easily just cut them out and slipped Slee- them in sleeves or something. And okay. It took okay. a little less time. All
2: right. Um, so, well, because that was also a unique thing about the it game was. mechanic was the fact that it used it is, cards and of And it's of diceless, dice. yeah. yeah. And it came, and it seemed like it had a very specialized deck, deck. of cards. Yeah. So, yeah, you, the, you but
5: the Quick Start out. did come with mm-hmm. the cards that you could print out. Right,
4: right. Yeah, it came with its own special cards, and the cards are kind of cool, unique. There's nice little clockwork uh, backgrounds to each, and and they're all a little different okay. from what and, I could tell.
5: And I do know because I did look at this Quick Start that this is a simplified version of the cards, they actually do sell much more detailed art, art more elaborate. and elaborate cards for the full game. So this is something they put together for the quick start.
2: Okay. Well, guys, as the players who played in this game, how easy was it for us to pick up the, the rules? It wasn't too hard.
3: I mean...
5: I was going to say, it seemed pretty easy. Usually it's a <coughs> aptitude and a skill or... Something like that, along yeah. with any bonuses that you might have. Um, affinities, assets, blessings, curses, masteries, trades, weapons, armor, you know.
2: Yeah. It looks kind of intimidating at first, because there's a lot of stuff Little
5: over, little dots over the, and, the
2: character sheet. Yeah. But. yeah. I'll give you that, but once
6: once you go through a single skill check and a single round of combat, right. you understand. It's, it's not too. Yeah.
2: yeah. So it's, it's fairly easy to pick I,
4: up. I think of all the things for me as the GM, the... The most u- unique and also slightly daunting thing was the initiative. It was it was very interesting. Very I liked, yeah, th- kind of like the idea of it. And okay. and I can't think of a way that I would improve it to make it amazing. But I
5: think what, <laughs> if we had done it a time or two more, we might have actually gotten a little better flow. Right. But. Overall, the rules were not that hard to pick up. Right. Like I said, it's usually something pretty simple. You add, for example, use focus and um, firearms. No, focus and what was something that I used a lot, streetwise or presence and streetwise. Right. And you add those two numbers together, and then if there's any negatives, you subtract it from that, and the result is either a positive or a negative number, and it's based off the number of successes you need. That's how pretty much all of the skill yeah, checkings everything. go. Just, so, overall, that's that the way. main rule. There's other things. You know, initiative was different.
2: But that's pretty much yeah. the, the basis of it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, guys, what did we think of these pre-gen characters that it, that the game gave us? And, Calvin, you said it had how many? In the there game? were six pre-gens for this.
4: And each pre-gen had some unique and or uh, small, like, special interaction within the story itself
5: okay i was gonna say i really think this has a pretty solid pregen. in all honesty they they went into a lot of detail rather than just giving you here the stats and some words on a piece of paper the front side is four paragraphs of background and then uh some uh, a paragraph of your accoutrements and then the rest of it, which is about half of the page, is your interaction with the rest of the characters. And then they give you a little hint on the tactics for physical and social combat. Right. So everyone's just a slight bit different. So you're not always, u- not everyone uses the same skills for physical and social combats.
2: Yeah. But they, they gave us a nice um, mixture, too. So I d- there wasn't a lot of overlap with what our characters really did either.
6: Right. Kind of felt like they're. I guess there wasn't a lot of direct overlap, but there was a lot of...
0: There's a lot of complementary overlapping.
6: Yeah. And we're basically the same, but off by... You know, just one or so, depending on exactly well, how fact, we approach this. The
5: fact of you can approach it two different ways. Yeah. So someone can use presence and st- streetwise, and someone else can use presence and command. You may end up with the same numbers, but you're going at
4: it a different way.
6: Yeah. Like, I, so, I did really like the pregens. It just yeah. felt a little samey after a bit. So,
4: but you also have to consider that, that it's, the, they made these so that a three-person group out of these pregens could... Run this, oh yeah. yeah. So, so they had to overlap some. I mean, you're always going to have that in a, in each situation. You're going to have one person who's really good out of the group. Yeah, for for the different things. So,
5: well, I wanted to point out with the way the characters are made, you have all the the aptitudes and the skills. You have these other things, the masteries, the trades, the blessings, the curses, the assets and the liabilities, the affinities and the reputations that are off onto the left-hand side. Those, to me, felt very fate-like because they were phrases or they were things that could be interpreted to give you bonuses. Yeah. So it was a nice mixture of storytelling and adapt-it-yourself type gaming and straight-up numbers gaming.
6: Yeah, and... With that, I definitely, like I said, I like the pre-gens. There's a lot there to sink your teeth into and Mm -hmm. play with if you're role-playing and all that. Mm -hmm. I was just slightly disappointed with the numbers and crunchiness for for the first game. It wasn't a big issue because they were still fun, just... Uh, a I think all of of, disappointment.
5: I think all of the pre gens had nice personalities and yeah. you were are defined enough that it wasn't, oh, I'm playing cop number three. Or yeah, I'm playing right. peon cop and specter cop and middleman cop. Yeah. You know. Right. So with the adventure, how was it? What was the setting setup and setting like? I have to admit, I think it was a little rough start when you were doing it because it seemed like they didn't give you a ton of background. They just said this character and this character are on patrol, this character and this character are coming back from a meeting, this character is at a dinner, and yeah. I don't know how it is you're all in the same place at the same time. Yeah, that's how it felt to me at the beginning. But yeah, and it's it's once we got past like that. that, once we got past the initial, we're all here. But why it seemed okay. Yeah, and and for this quick start it it seemed like you were saying that they each encounter that you do they in- introduced a new mechanic.
4: Yeah, w- that was one of the things I was going to bring up. I I kind of like the fact that they slowly sort of introduced you to different mechanics instead of instead of at the beginning going, "All right guys, let's go over the rules." It was kind of a "let's get started" and and as we get to this kind of encounter we'll walk through. It was kind of like
5: doing. a video game tutorial where it's like, alright, this is your first combat. Let's try our heavy
4: attacks. Right.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, okay. it's kind of nice having the rules the introduced piecemeal as opposed to just one giant info dump.
5: Oh yeah, yeah. when yeah, that you, you, happens you, in any of these quick starts, I admit I totally tune
2: out.
3: It, it's kind of like that one that Doug ran but anyway how it gradually kind of walked,
1: walked
2: us yeah. through yeah <clears throat> did, it, did it give us a good idea of the, the setting for for um, clockwork
3: i want to say it didn't give us a good idea of what the setting is but it did give us a good feel for the setting okay yes. okay because we still don't know what the setting really is but we definitely know what the feel of the setting is right? I, I
5: know that sounds convoluted and weird but I agree
3: and,
4: and having read more of, like, the some of the backstory stuff...
5: In the quick start. In the quick
4: start. Okay. I, I feel like I knew uh, more of what the setting is.
5: Than it's inter- introduced in the scenario. Than is
4: kind of really introduced in in the read-to-players kind of text okay. that comes okay. through.
2: Okay. Well, in that case, uh, did we enjoy this quick start?
4: Calvin. Yeah. I, I mean... I did. It was a little weird getting started. I think as after one or two of the of the encounters, it rolled a lot smoother. Um, but but I think again, the biggest thing was figuring out the whole initiative uh, order tracking deal was what mm-hmm. kind of hung us a lot.
5: So that's why it slowed down at first.
4: Because... Yes. Okay. But I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it was different for me, definitely a little out of my comfort zone as far as what I usually run. <laughs> yeah. But that being said, I'm I'm glad it I was why Tim I think that's why Tim, yeah, Tim chose kind of it, it it kind mm-hmm. of made me see things from a different perspective. So it it was it was good.
3: Alright. Yeah. All right. What about you, Tim? Uh yeah, it was pretty fun. I liked it. Um it was pretty enjoyable. I did like the the depth of characters that we were given. Okay. Matthew
2: Coming yeah at you I ha, ha,
6: I <laughs> I enjoyed it and like I mentioned earlier, I really did enjoy the the pregen characters the way they were able to play with each other, um, all the all, all the fun interactions you have there. <laughs> um, I did feel like while introducing everything piecemeal was nice. And it kept me from having to worry about learning a thousand things at the same time. Um, it definitely felt like a lot for a single session. Yeah. So okay. if if there was a easier
4: way to... Maybe a shorter quick start. shorter, yeah.
5: Shorter combats. I mean, it seemed like some of the combats were... Both physical and social combats. Yeah, they there were physical, that
4: led in straight into social combats.
5: Right.
4: So essentially, right. and I, and and maybe that's just because there are both <clears throat> really defined physical and social combats, or inter right, I say combats. I guess they would be combats. Yeah. Um, and as police, you're going to go from right one to the yeah. other, assuming that you actually subdue. Like, oh yeah. Your you know. <laughs> So I so did draw
6: it out. I like it. I don't know how well it works as a quick start, but I do <laughs> like it.
5: <laughs> well, all right, I'm going to skip you here for a minute, John. Okay. Um, I like the quick start. I like the flavor. I like the feel. I like the characters. As far as the quick start, it doesn't necessarily feel, feel like a short quick start. It feels more like a full blown scenario, like you would get with Pathfinder, where you get right. multiple encounters.
2: Yeah. And it so <sighs>
5: it doesn't necessarily feel like a quick start it feels like a full-blown scenario to me
2: okay i i felt it was a good um intro tutorial sort of thing i felt as a quick start it was it was it was kind of railroady. well through, yeah. through a lot of it yeah, yeah there was a because there was a lot of dialogue and stuff that was just like oh well clearly this is where we need to go this <laughs> the rest of the yeah
5: yes my family's not being threatened in the base fit yeah. at
2: all yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so, uh, would this make us want to check out the full game for <laughs> Clockwork Dominion?
4: And to be fair on that one, that was just me not being able to come up with yeah, a witty thing to oh. say. But <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> Well,
5: I'll say so. yes, I would want to check out the full thing. Um, it has enough of the storytelling gaming elements and hard um, stat elements for me, I think, at least from this quick start. I would be interested. And the setting's not bad. I'm not a huge Victorian steampunk fan, but okay. it it sounds kinda of interesting with the supernatural. Yeah, because of
4: Yeah, it. I was gonna say because they add a nice really right. weird supernatural twisted Right. Uh, the
5: supernatural gets me interested in the steampunk part right.
4: of it. Yeah. Um, I'll
6: say I'm very like this makes me curious.
5: Right. I'd be willing to check it out. I don't know if I would invest all my money in it, you know, yeah. and purchase everything.
6: <laughs> I love the initiative system with what we played with, so mm-hmm. I really like that. Uh, the rest of it, um, I'm definitely curious. Uh, we'd have to play more in order to say whether or not I definitely enjoyed the system, but it, it does its job as a quick start. I'm interested.
3: Yeah. Uh, personally, I, I do not think it was... A- Bad. Uh, I don't think I'd go out looking for it, personally. But, but if, if your group
5: of friends wanted to yeah, play, if,
3: if, Yeah, if someone wanted to play it, then yes. Yeah. So or if I was at a convention... But you wouldn't spend your own money on Yeah, exactly. It. Okay.
2: Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm not sure if this would make me want to check out the, the whole thing. I would definitely play it if my friends were playing it.
5: If the books and the cards were both $50 or under, I would do it.
2: Okay.
5: If it's only one book and a set of cards. <laughs> if it was, you know, 14 books, eh,
4: no. Based on the information given me in the quick start, I can ass- only assume that it's going to be at least two books. Okay. Because it tells you that there is going to be a, a bestiary kind of
5: Again, thing. Again, if it's 50 bucks or less,
3: right. I would be Well, inclined. a bestiary isn't, you know, a make or break thing. Because right. right. you can play without a bestiary. Mm-hmm. Um, you can fake it. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I, I think... That maybe because it was again out of kind of out of my comfort zone, I don't know that I did this game a hundred percent justice. Uh, I feel like I did well enough with it that I would probably give it another try. But I'm I'm with Tim. I don't I don't think I would go out searching for it or trying to find a group that was playing it personally.
5: All right. Okay. Okay. So we got three mm. maybes and a yes if it's cheap enough. And John is
2: a mm. So I guess we have yeah, four maybes. I'm not, yeah. Four maybes and a yes if it's cheap enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So again, uh, we were playing Clockwork Dominion. Uh, Calvin, who, who put this out again?
4: Uh, it was Reliquary Game Studios.
2: Okay. And. The this um quick start where where did you get it from
4: uh i got this quick start from drive through rpg okay all right thanks guys
0: podcast at gmail.com
2: one podcast brings you games from around the world
3: Welcome to another episode of The Games from Around the World. And I am here with Amit, with, with Son of Oak Game Studio, and we're here to talk about City of Mist. How's it going, hey, everyone.
7: Amit? It's going great. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk about City of Mist and uh, about games, uh, games around the world in general.
3: Well, we're excited to have you. It's a very beautiful looking game. Thank you. Uh, so, can you tell everyone where you're from? I'm from Israel.
7: I live part of the year in Boston, but most of the year I live in Israel.
3: And so what can you tell us of City of Mist? What is the setting? So City
7: of Mist is a game about ordinary people with legendary power. It powers. It, it's actually kind of a graphic novel noir game set in a city where everyone has a legend inside them. It could be a story, a myth, a fairy tale... A, But most people are unaware of their own legend or of other people's legends because of a mystical veil called the Mist. So uh, you play a rift, a person who's awakened to their legendary nature to a certain extent. It's up to you just how much. And you basically start discovering what is really going on in the city and how legends are actually running it. And it's an investigative game where you try to find answers about who you are, what happened to you, uh, and of course, any other thing that interests the players in the gm
3: how do the powers in the game work like, do people have how do the legends work right so uh, every
7: character has a a mythos, a legend that is kind of growing inside her and using her as a gateway into the city so for example, one char- one of the starter set characters, salamander, he has the primordial salamander, you know, a fiery creature but also connected to water inside him and that gives him the ability to produce this kind of nimbus of substance, plasma around him and create whips out of it. Another character post mortem is is kind of the manifestation of the revenant. So she's she woke up in a lab dead but alive and she's trying to figure out What happened to her? Who did this to her? What is the organization uh, connected to that? And her powers are more, you know, of being kind of an undead. So uh, she she doesn't breathe, she doesn't eat, and she has less problem with taking bullets uh, through her chest and so on and so forth. So every character has a very unique power set that is derived from their mythos and i think that's what a lot of people really like about this game it's the characters are very unique it's not kind of you know the usual control fire control ice kind of superpowers
3: so it's not like a traditional game like or a traditional superhero game like champions or anything like that
7: no it definitely there are definitely strong superhero um you know especially comic book and superhero streaks through it and and the atmosphere, you know, in the in the game, could is is very much influenced from Marvel's more street level characters like Jessica Jones and Daredevil and that kind of stuff. But no, from from a, an origin point of view, the characters are not just superheroes. Their 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 powers come from some kind of a
3: mythos. So, like the mythos, is that like a uh, predefined kind of thing, or how? What is that?
7: It's uh, Yeah, it's a term in the game. Uh, basically, one of the major focuses of the game is the struggle between the legendary and the ordinary within each one of the player's characters. So your character has certain aspects that are mythos, that are legendary. And um, actually, these aspects are called themes. You have four themes, and some of them are legendary, and some of them are... Ordinary, And they're called Logos. And this balance can actually change throughout the game. You can, you know, that classic moment in comic books where the hero loses someone close to them, but then, you know, there's kind of maybe more room for their powers to evolve. Or the other way around, they shut down their powers and they kind of go back more to their normal lives and develop that a little bit. So it's very dynamic. You can actually um, you know, gain and lose themes as you're playing your character. And the purpose was to try and create something as similar to that comic book feel and to make the story much more um, you know, pliable for players. And you, you could really do a lot with it.
3: So it's a lot about the balancing, or not necessarily balancing, but depending on how you want to play your character, whether you want to be more normal or more super powered.
7: Yeah, exactly.
3: So if you want, and it, basically we like Spider-Man when he doesn't want his powers and he wants to stay with Mary Jane or whatever. Yeah. You'd lose some of the powers.
7: Yeah, funny. That's the example I always think of. <laughs>
3: But yeah, you actually would lose some of the
7: powers. It doesn't necessarily mean for in game terms. It doesn't necessarily mean that your character lost their power uh their powers or her powers, but it does mean that you are you get less bonuses when you try to activate them in the story. So, it's almost like we're changing the focus now. Now we're going now this character we're going to see more of their you know, ordinary life, or now we're going to see them developing their powers and investigating their origin and, and kind of, you know, growing stronger. So this was really important in the game design. I really wanted the players to have that feeling of, wow, my character is constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. And, and I always have something interesting and new to do. And it's not just, it's not just those, you know, repetitive actions of you activating my powers in the same way.
3: So it's not like the five hour fight that's in the champions system
7: <laughs> no it's it's one hundred percent the other the other direction i'm actually i was i i was you know as a i picked up champions very young very, like oh, i was sorry. thirteen <laughs> And I liked it for a long time, but it did always bother me, the length, all these calculations and all these, uh, you know, I like the crunch, but it did bother me that whenever we went into combat, it's just the cinematics would die because every action, you describe it for three seconds and then you'd take three minutes to to make the, you know, the calculations and the moves. So this is why the engine that uh, runs City of Mist is a cinematic engine. It's designed to really amplify this theater of the mind and, and, and keep the focus on it. So the moves are very, very quick. And they also have, we're using uh, Apocalypse World moves. I don't know if everyone's familiar with that. So they're very kind of story-propelling moves, the actions in the game. Every action you take either you know propels the story where you want it to go or where the MC wanted it to go, which is usually not, not in your favor. It doesn't have to be, but usually, the the MC's job is to complicate things in the end. And the MC is, yeah, that's the that's the master of ceremonies is the the
3: the game master in
7: game term for the game master. I'm okay, talking okay. about the
3: game master. Yeah. And you said apocalyptic moves. So is, does this use the apocalypse system?
7: Yeah, yeah. Um, what city of Mist, the system in City of Mist is not actually apocalypse world. It's it uses the moves from Apocalypse World, but it adds another, another very, very important aspect where City of Mist doesn't have any attributes at all. Your oh. character is built completely on descriptive tags, and when you want to make a move any... Most moves, but let's say like, the core moves, all of them work on roll plus ta- roll plus tags. So you basically just count the number of tags that are relevant, and you add it to a two d six, and you compare it to the results of the move. So it's kind of an amalgamation of Apocalypse World and Fate, or Lady Blackbird, if people some people <laughs> know it. And people have been really ex- vocally excited about how this works, and I'm I'm very pleased with. Uh, with how it works as well. Yeah, it kind of, the, the attempt was to make something more, um, that would really feel more cinematic and, and let people get more creative with their actions as players.
3: That sounds cool. So you, you mentioned when, if you go more focused on your powers, that you get bonuses to use your powers. If you go more ordinary, do you get bonuses for some of the more ordinary things? Totally. So, every, each one of
7: your four themes is either mythos or logos, either a legendary or ordinary, and each one of those themes has the same number of tags. So, which is three. So, or and it can grow. But but the idea is that if you have themes that are ordinary you are within the story you may be weaker than someone who has more mythos themes but in actuality in the game you're just as strong and this was also a very important point in in the game design i wanted you know super heavily super powered uh, characters to be able to coexist with you know kind of street level characters or even characters without powers because i think that's that really makes a story beautiful, you know, that, that sometimes the real hero is not necessarily the person with the greater powers. So, actually, in game terms, everyone starts at the same level of being able to affect the story, even if they have different power levels.
3: So, it'd be kind of like Batman and Superman, where Batman is the more ordinary person because he has no powers, where Superman is all focused on his powers. But yet, there's somehow exactly. it's the same power level... In some weird way, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not the same power level from an absolute
7: perspective, but from a story perspective, Batman has just as much, you know, ability to 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 affect things uh, as as Superman does, yeah. which is vital for a good, you know, comic book style story. You want to have that mixture of of ordinary and legendary, which is what the game is all about, really.
3: What time period is the setting? Is it like modern day? Uh, is it more like noir-ish, nineteen 50s? Yeah. So
7: when you create, on, in, in, during session zero, which is explained in depth in the book, you can you actually gather around and you decide what is your city. Is it? Well, there's a couple of options there. Uh, you can really, you know, do it in the kind of roaring twenties or thirties, and and play the the classic noir. Game you can play it in the '80s, you know, and do kind of a neon noir, and you can also, do, which I love, I'm I'm kind of hooked on it. I think the next book is going to be very neony, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and also you can also do a modern a modern day city. So it's actually uh, very very flexible, and you can also decide whether you choose to make the city an existing city or it's just the city. You know, kind of a city, literally in the mist, okay. hovering there, and and uh, yeah, because one of the concepts of the game, whether it's a real city or not, is that pe- the the heroes are constantly focused on the city. There is, it's just they just don't seem to think that anything outside the city is is important, and that's <laughs> kind of a requirement. And, and this, this, uh, this, the same goes for uh, the residents of the city. Like, it's very focused on the city. It's not this kind of, like, flying-around-the-world uh, superhero game. It's, it's very – and I think that's required for, an, for a good noir detective uh, story. You don't see um, Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage um, traveling outside of the city very often or very far – or Spider-Man. Or Spider-Man, exactly.
3: Yeah. Even can't... though
7: he, he does do some space. <laughs> well, yeah, we're not going
3: to get into that. That's, that just gets weird. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you mentioned themes. And all of a sudden your website you have theme books. Are these like just new powers that people can explore? I mean, it's similar. Basically,
7: theme books are questionnaires that help you create your tags in your theme. So what we did is we wanted to give people a complete toolkit for creating interesting, conflicted characters. So we created these seven Mythos, seven Legendary, and seven Logos Ordinary theme books. Each one of them helps you create specific type of theme. For example, in the powers mythos side, we have a theme book called Bastion, which helps you create defensive powers, and a theme book called divination which helps you create you know sensory or information gathering powers and so on and so forth so there are 7 of those and then in your ordinary life there are things like defining relationship for those closest to you or most important to you defining event for your past the mission Training possessions for your gear. And when you create your character, you ch- out of these 14 theme books, you choose four for the things that are most important in your character. It doesn't mean that you don't have the other things. It just means that these are the things you want to focus on when the game starts. And like I said, themes change. So sometimes you replace some of your themes. So yeah, theme books are, are kind of questionnaires that help you. They ask you a question like, how do you use your defensive power offensively and then when you answer that that becomes your tag so oh. it's a really yeah it's a really nice uh, process of constructing
3: your character that sounds very interesting i want to try that one of these days please do what are like some of the tags like what can they be so tags can be anything they can be
7: powers of course they can be qualities they can be or traits, they can be objects you have, privileges, helpers, people that are assisting you, allies. Uh, they could even be this kind of. A lot of people really like the the tags that are kind of a situational or a phrase tag. Like we once did this Daredevil sample character sheet, just just as a as tribute. Mm-hmm. And um, one of his tags was Murdoch's always get up or something like that. I forget the exact phrasing, but. So, so yeah, you can phrase your tags in all kinds of very creative way, and they can represent anything. So basically, anything that can get focus in in your story is a tag. And when you when you take an action where that tag is is directly relevant, get the you get pretty much plus one to your roll. Uh, there are also weakness tags that gives you a minus one to your role, but you gain form of XP out of them so that you use them to develop. But the players activate them. The, the Game Master can also activate them, but the players can choose to activate a weakness of their character in order to gain more XP. Basically, the more your weaknesses come into play, the more your character develops.
3: Oh, that's cool. Now, I noticed in some of the, the pre-gens I see on the site, they have two of the different logos and mythos. Is that like... Yeah. Do they pick which one they want, or do they get like both of those? For the bridgens, you get all the all the the four
7: themes. So they're they're already ready made. When you create your character, you pick out four theme books, create four themes, and you know you choose what what uh, what to create.
3: Okay. So is it normally like two mythos and two logos, or can you, no you can do whatever you want
7: yeah you can do whatever you want. Some of the Prigians have like Kitsune the this kind of a teenager who's also a fox spirit, a Japanese fox spirit. He has three mythos, so he's very powerful, and that also has an effect in the story. I mean characters who have three mythos and one logos are called legendaries. They fully live out their legend, and the you know their the ordinary in them is just kind of like a veneer or a facade that they keep whereas characters that have 3 3 ordinary themes and one legendary theme are called touched because they're mostly ordinary people just touched by their legend and there's also i think three of those characters in the pregens so we have in the pregens kind of all types of characters legendaries touched and borderliners who have two two metos and two logos or two ordinary and two legendary
3: now there is a starter pack this. it is the PDF is free.
7: It is, yes.
3: And, uh, Go download it and try it out. <laughs> I, I have downloaded it. No, what? I'm saying to everyone who's listening. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, you should. You, there's also a physical copy you can get, which it comes yes. with, like, you have a little starter book and you have, like, basically the sheets printed out of all the the characters and whatnot.
7: Yeah, they're, they're large, you know, they're large A3-sized posters that on the inside they have the character sheet so actually when you're playing your character everyone else can see and they fold in the middle so everyone else can see the you know the the art for your character on the back side of your playbook so
3: yeah that looks like something that'd be really awesome to have at like a, a convention because you can just lay it all out and people are like ooh, that guy looks interesting i want to play him
7: yeah, yeah, it has been really a, a real eye catcher in conventions and people, yeah, people kind of, you know, it's very easy to pick up. It's a it's a game that really doesn't have that many rules and especially even the starter set is uh, is really concise and you can just pick it up. I've actually literally played it with uh, a bunch of old ladies <laughs> and who who have never played role playing games before. So, it's 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 that easy. And with the core book we expanded more to let, you know, more veteran players kind of have more options and uh
3: So let's talk about the system for a bit. You said it was a cinematic system. How does yes. it How does it work? Cuz you said it's tags plus d6. Like uh, what are you looking for when you roll the dice?
7: So yeah, well, the the system works like Apocalypse World. If you roll 6 or less, Basically, it's called a miss, and the MC, or the game master, gets to make a move against you, and if you roll 7 to 9, it's a mixed success and failure, and if you roll 10 or more, it's a clear success with clear benefits, and that crossed the board. Um, The game is cinematic in many, many aspects. The major requirement from this system was that it's fast, and it produces a lot of You know, in every action has a lot of repercussions and a lot, you know, very significant outcomes, story-wise. So the eight core moves basically describe what happens in each one of those categories, ten or more, seven to nine, and sometimes six or less, uh, when you try to take out different actions. So putting together your action and rolling the dice actually takes little time, but then you... more time describing what happens in the story based on the options that you choose from the moves
3: so how many tags can you add can you add like logos and mythos tags if they apply yeah
7: yeah, you can mix tags all the tags you have sometimes there are also extra themes from, from other aspects that you've developed into and you can mix um, or from your crew theme there is also a theme for the crew uh, that crew, themes, crew members can invoke the themes in it you can use t- all the tags that you have. There is an optional rule of, like, a tag cap of three, that is recommended mostly for new GMs. But actually, I never played with it <laughs> because there are so m- yeah, because there are so many negative things to counter a problem of multiple tag or too many tags. That the modifier you roll with stays well within the range that is good for this system, which is basically between minus four and plus four. So you have statuses, conditions that take away from from your tags or your powers. There are weakness tags that reduce your the number, your modifier, and so on and so forth. So I actually never play with that cap, but it does exist, and some people have found it useful.
3: So are there are also like environmental modifiers, because I, I believe it's the face system actually has like environmental modifiers that can affect things as well
7: yeah definitely there are many i mean one of the things that the game master can add are story tags so the game master can add tags such as raining or um a truck just put it you know just put a truck a tag truck and then if you use that truck it helps you, but if the track gets in the way or obscures your targets and so on and so forth, it takes away from your power or from your bonus or modifier. Yeah, it's, it's very easy to create environmental effects, and, it, and they don't have to be necessarily environmental. It could be uh, that the villain has an assistant that is kind of blocking your way, and that's a tag. So um, it's very versatile in that sense.
3: So, in other words, if someone decides to use all their tags for some kind of reason, you just say, "Okay, well, they have a bunch of civilians in front of them as human shields, so there goes, all your modifiers
7: yeah, it would reduce your action unless uh, tags are not just you know they're not just for calculating modifiers, they also create a situation in the story, so maybe regardless of the modifier, the character decides not to shoot because if they do shoot, they will hit those." civilians described in the tag so it's it's a combination the system is always kind of bridging story and rules story and rules and these two things kind of always feed off on one another
3: off of one another and you said this is like an investigative game are there like investigative skills or tags or is there like a particular mechanic for that
7: yes there is so the the main uh, move for investigating is is called investigate, and um, it gen- <laughs> oddly enough, and it's used not just for it, it used for any kind of information gathering. Even if you're kind of looking ar- around the corner, trying to understand who's in the scene or who's in the bar, for example, uh, that's that could also be an investigate move. And, and the investigate move generates a resource called clues, and players can spend their clues to ask the game master questions and the game master can always answer with a lead or a clue they don't have to obviously it's even better if they don't give the answer necessarily so they can choose if they want if the pace of the investigation is too slow the game master can decide to you know give more straight answers and, you know, give information more candidly when the players are asking the correct question. If they want to pace the investigation and slow it down a bit, they can give more vague um, answers. But the the kind of the contract is that players always get something to work with when they spend a clue. And the book contains also a lot of tips on how exactly to respond to players as a game master when they ask questions and how to use your you know the, the the prep that you have the all the material you created for the case with the player's uh, questions
3: all right so that is it's sort of a way to for the game master or the mc to basically control the the pace of the game
7: yeah exactly i mean and, and that kind of works into the cinematic we don't want the investigation to end in two minutes you know, and just because someone asked the right questions, cool. You asked the right question. I'll give you a clue, and then the investigation continues. Um, and we don't want we don't want it to to come to a halt. You know, in case uh, just because there's some kind of law or rule that says that you have to give a clue. The idea is to create something really flowing, really interesting that it's always engaged. So uh, players generate clues and they use them and they find some kind of information and they move on to the next thing. The other thing we have is a really it's a very big chapter about how to create an investigative case for game masters. So it has a lot of tips about the iceberg model, which basically is a model that helps you, you know, build your investigation in a way that the players start from the visible and delve slowly further and further into the the mystery
3: Oh, that sounds all sorts of fun now i also see you have maps available on your website but they don't have hexes so i'm guessing this isn't a tactical gana game
7: no not at
3: all (laughs) what, what would you use the maps for well, I think uh, the maps were um we wanted
7: to the maps are very, you know, atmospheric. They have a very specific mood and I think people if you want to set the scene and use miniatures or markers or whatever to kind of know where everyone is standing, the maps are really they're really fun. So we have things like a dirty dive, a back alley, Chinatown, the the subway And so on and so so forth. So they're kind of like classic uh, City of Mist noir locations uh, that are probably going to come up in your game a lot. And it's nice to be able to place everyone on the map, but it's not necessarily a tactical game like, I don't know, Pathfinder. or.
3: And you also have a campaign book for this as well? Uh it's it's in the works
7: the it's campaign the works. book is not uh yeah, it's not uh, released <laughs> yet it's going to include uh, four expansions four smaller expansions bundled up into one book one expansion is going to be an addition of locations and characters to the already I mean NPCs and threats to the already uh, pretty large directory of dangers that we have in the core book another one another expansion is going to talk about an organization called the Gatekeepers, who run the mist, basically, this uh, mystical veil that controls the city. And there will be also an expansion about additional avatars. Avatars are kind of like the darkest and meanest of all legends that (laughs) rule the city. And the core book has four fully fleshed out and detailed avatars in their operations, and the expansion is going to have some more of those. And the final supplement will be about an event called the riot where the mist basically fails and collapses and what happens then. Oh. That sounds interesting. And so it's it's basically a book that's going to allow you to take what you have with City of Mist and kind of expand on it. But because of, you know, because the core book has so much, we're kind of taking our time with this book because it's, you know, it's a little more Players still have to experience a lot of City of Mist before they want to expand on it. So.
3: so so it's more of an advanced campaign kind of style.
7: Yeah. yeah. The other book that we have in the works is probably better for beginners. It will have ten cases that are connected in a story arc, kind of like a Pathfinder adventure path. Mm-hmm. And um, you'll be able to pick that up and just kind of dive right in. Even if you're only using the, the free starter set or if you're using you know, the full rules to create your own characters... It's going to be basically pre pre generated content for your game.
3: I also noticed you had another character available for download on there. Is that a like an add-on to just the pre gens, or is that like something new you're adding? Because the Lily Chow and Iron Hands.
7: Yeah, no, it's Lily Chow and Iron Hands is is a pre gen. It's it's basically a pre gen that we really felt. Compelled to create because we she appears in the core book as a danger or an NPC that could be a threat or could be an ally depending on how you play it and she also has uh, her stats there and uh, we just thought wow that's a really cool character also to play and we had great art for it and we said okay we're going to make that available for people to play as a as a pregen and I've actually I had the chance to play it and I had a lot of fun with it so. <laughs> She's kind of annoying, but at the same time really powerful, so it's, it's an interesting combination.
3: Yeah, and she doesn't have any new powers. It's the same as you would get anywhere else, right?
7: The thing about using tags is that you can always create new powers. You're not limited in any way in what your powers are going to be. So she doesn't have any new moves or any special expansions, but yeah, it's more about... You know, being able to play this this character that maybe you saw in the core book and you liked, or just expanding the roster for the, start, for the pre-gens.
3: Now, is it possible to create your own themes for characters? Is it possible? Sorry? Is it possible to create your own themes for characters? Like if you want yeah. to create your own mythos or your own legend, or logos legend?
7: Yeah, this is what I mentioned earlier about the theme books. Basically, if you have the core book, the core book contains all the theme books. You can also buy the theme books in printed separately for your for your character creation so that you don't have to kind of pass the book around, but they're basically uh, the same theme books and when you do a character creation process or session, you pick out four theme books and use these questionnaires to create your themes so yeah there's the whole the full uh character creation process is detailed in the book
3: so the themes aren't necessarily like exact powers it's just kind of like a certain type of thing yes, yes if you want yes. if, so, you wanna, if you want a mysterious background then you'd use this theme
7: exactly exactly so if you have the um you know you have the theme book mission but every character's mission could be different. The tags you get out of this could be totally different. If one person's mission is to discover a cure, the tags could be medical or, I don't know, political maybe, I don't know, or things like that. If another character's mission is to fight crime, the tags could be combat tags. So... These theme books are extremely flexible. They just kind of guide you through so that you're not facing a you know a blank page and you don't know what tags to create. They they guide you through the process, but each one of them
3: can can create totally different power sets. So I'm looking at post mortem. She has like the thing training assassin. So that's like you could both be like training bodyguard or training martial artist as well yeah
7: or a training doctor or a training um um chemist. it could be like an academic or a chemist or yeah exactly yeah. all all of these things yeah
3: okay so and that's including like the powers as well like the bastion yeah
7: so bastion are defensive powers but could it could be that you're you're this shield maiden you know in your legend or it could be that you are made of bronze because you are talos the the greek uh, automaton or it could be that you are able to you're a poltergeist and you actually don't have a body and that protects you so yeah the one theme book can be used for a very wide variety of powers and they include a lot of examples on how you're able to kind of the range of things that you can do with them
3: that's very cool i uh, definitely more interested in this now it sounds like something that would be fun to go on. Cool, yeah. Try it out, let me know what you think. <laughs>
7: <laughs> Definitely will.
3: So where can we people find your game?
7: Uh you can find uh, the easiest place is on cityofmist.co. Uh, Our books are also on Amazon. So if you order from us, you also get a PDF copy and it's shipped with Amazon anyway. Um yeah, that that's that's the place to go if you want to get the book. We're also on DriveThruRPG if you want your PDF. Copy in your drive-through RPG library,
3: and that's pretty much it. And you, uh, you mentioned that you uh, planned you're planning on uh, the advent the ten adventures, or yeah, ten cases. Yes, the cases. Yeah. yeah. And then you're also working on the uh, campaign.
7: Yes, that's true. These are the two upcoming uh, books that we want to create. We also want to create a fantasy game based on the same system. So that's also in the works that's going to be more like it's obviously it's going to be reworked to more of a quest story rather than a noir city, so there's a lot to change, but the mechanics will be similar
3: would it still have like the mythos logos mechanic to it, or would it be something a little bit different
7: right now it's going to be a little bit different right now in the development you know in the game development stage we're in it's It looks like it's going to be a distinction between magic and mundane. I really want to create a game system where magic is something from another level. It's not just, okay, I'm a wizard and you're a fighter and it's pretty much the same. (laughs) <laughs> you know it's 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 no I'm it's Gandalf you know what I'm saying it's like yeah. a, a wizard is something on another level you don't just go and become a wizard it's uh, you can learn magic but it it requires a lot of sacrifice of your more mundane or mortal aspirations and and aspects so that's 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 where it's going right now
3: so it'd be more like this a- is
7: actually the first time I'm talking about it
3: <laughs> Oh ooh Yeah well, hopefully we can get you back on when you have it more developed, and we can talk about it some more then. Sure, definitely. I would love that. All right, and uh, so this has been... A, we've been talking with Amit, with with Son of Oak Game Studio, and uh, we've been talking about City of Mist. Go on there and download the starter. Thank you, Amit. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Bzzz. Hey, what's up? Um, excuse me. But let me tell you about my game.
3: (laughs) Hello, this is Tim. I'm here today with Matthias from Jöringen. Hey, hey. Uh, And we're here to talk about your latest Kickstarter, which is Yandros, the Dark Star. Yeah, that's right. This Kickstarter is for the Symbolum uh, game that you have out.
8: Yeah exactly it's uh, actually the 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 third campaign we are running um, aiming to translate and fund the post production of of a series of campaign modules for for Simbarum. this one is called Indaros the Darkest Star and it's the third installment uh, set in the in the heart of the the Ambrian empire or kingdom namely the 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 capital of Indaros
3: and how long is the campaign going until? When is the uh, last day that people can get in? Down to this?
8: We uh, we have actually just paused the, the the one week mark of the campaign, uh, and we have I think it's 15 or 16 days to go. So it should end at uh, May second at 6 p.m. Central European Time. So we, we have some ways to go, and we're in this you know uh, period of the Kickstarter campaign that is so frustrating, but because it feels like after the first rush, nothing is happening, and you're you're waiting for the final rush to start.:
3: <laughs> Yeah, we've talked to some other people about uh, Kickstarters, and they always say you get that, that first initial surge of people like, "Oh yeah, I want to get into this." Then you have those people who wait until like the end, like oh my god, this is almost the ending. I better put some money in it.
8: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it is. I mean, we had an we've had an awesome first week. Uh, totaling now, I think about almost half a million Swedish crowns. It should be like sixty thousand dollars, I believe and we we are we are super happy but <laughs> it doesn't <clears throat> it doesn't help the fact that this this middle week of our 23 day campaign is it is it is trying <laughs>
3: <laughs> but the game is already um it already it's already funded so
8: yeah yeah, absolutely. It took less than half an hour uh, <laughs> for the funding to yeah, and it's all thanks to our fantastic base of of Symborum gamers. Uh, the game has been out in in English since April, I think. It's it's more or less today. Two years, it's been okay. out. Uh, yeah, April twenty sixteen, and. We are fortunate enough to see the 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 crowd of Simba gamers grow by the day.
3: Yeah, I I've noticed that you have quite the fan base.
8: Yeah, and and the, the absolutely best fan base as well. Because I don't know, it's I, oh, I should I should say that that in general, role playing gamers or maybe te- tabletop gamers in general are are. A, Fantastic, fantastic crowd and we have a, a, a few really great communities at Google Plus and at Reddit and also on Facebook with people really really contributing to to the game and to, to spreading the word about the game so we are very fortunate in that respect
3: In the Kickstarter you have the, the opportunity to also get the rest of the game as well
8: yeah, of course, as this is the third episode of so the, the campaign, we are fully aware that some newcomers to the game may feel it's it's a bit early to, to invest in, you know, something that they maybe will play in a year or two. So we have a couple of pledge levels which are designed specifically for, for new new Simborn players. And also... We have add-on options, so, so the most basic starter set or pledge level, it's, it's only the core book. And then you can add, if you want, the Advanced Player's Guide and the December the Monster Codex, which will launch in the summer.
3: And back to your previous one, I got the books pretty close to send when you said you would send it to us. So you're pretty, you seem to be pretty good on fulfilling the orders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. I backed yours after I backed another person's, and I still haven't gotten a single thing from them yet.
8: <laughs> no. And
3: I've gotten no, everything we, from you.
8: Yeah. We we, um, especially when it comes to this episode uh, of the, the 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 chronicle, the books are already produced in Swedish when we launched the Kickstarter. And that, of course, means that we have all the art assets done. Ah. Uh, we have the layout. We have the maps and so on. So what we need to do in order to fulfill these campaigns is basically translate the text and, and paste it into an already existing frame. And then, I, I mean, that's not a small thing, especially when when it's not your native language you're going to write in, so we have a lot of proofreading phases and try real hard to to keep the same quality in texts as we have in the Swedish versions But I'm guessing that this is one of the, the reasons why we have been pretty successful in delivering on time, I think we have been a couple to up to a month late Education that is not good. We tried. We actually we we are trying really hard not to have any delays at all. Uh, so we, we'll see what happens with Indos.
3: Well, to be honest, when it comes to Kickstarter, a month delay is actually not too terrible. Because, like I said, there's still stuff I have not even received from people, and it's been over a year. So. Yeah, yeah,
8: people keep saying that, but I mean, why not, why not try to make it? Why not try to make it in time?
3: Well, no, no, no. It's it's awesome that you are trying to do it in time and whatnot, and you think a month mm. is is way too late. It, yeah, I just don't think that some people actually have the same kind of you know drive as that. So that's it's really awesome that you are interested in doing that and yeah I remember hearing I think it was you that said that you try not to have two you try to have one product out before you start another Kickstarter or yeah, we, yeah yeah it, yeah
8: yeah <laughs> that's absolutely the ambition in this case, uh I think maybe it was in August last year or september we we did the Kickstarter for the Monster Codex which differs a bit from from the episode of the campaign, because uh, the Monster Codex has been written simultaneously in Swedish and English. Or it's been written in Swedish, and then we have started the, the translation process while still writing on the Swedish stuff. So... We have not yet delivered the Monster Codex. It will go to print, uh, hopefully, next week for the Swe- Swedish version, meaning that we are, I would say, about three weeks late. Hopefully, we can get the, the English version to print on time so we can deliver it in June. Uh, but right now, <laughs> and it's, it's not an ideal situation, you know, uh, fulfilling one Kickstarter and running another one at the same time. It's, it, it gets a little bit confusing at times. But Yeah, I can imagine. This, yeah.
3: So the Kickstarter goes until, you said, May 2nd? Yeah. And you can find it on Kickstarter. Just look for Simbao. Uh, or Yandos. Is that-
8: exactly. Or or The Darkest Star, if, if that is easier to, to spell out.
3: <laughs> yeah, because uh, I've had several people <laughs> have a hard time trying to spill. Yeah. So go check it out in Kickstarter and back it either now or it's close to its <laughs> close to its end date.
8: Yeah, it, the more help we can get right now, the better, because as I said, the, this this uh, this slow paced second week is is. Uh, Well, we need all the help we can get. (laughs)
3: All right. Thank you, Matthias. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon.
8: Thank you.
0: Hey, this is Toast. Um, Go ahead and leave the Swarmcast a message. Remember our number, area code 803-470-4439. Maybe we'll use our message on the air. Who knows? We got a ghost, got a I admit that I'm impressed. Since I'm how someone legit to come and sit and talk on stuff. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so hey everybody, if you've been listening to the Swarmcast podcast long enough, you've probably heard my next guest who's, going, who's getting ready to come on. I have with me here Ed Jallet from Shades of Vengeance. How's
1: it going, Ed? Hi, good to be back. Um, Yeah, things are going pretty good, actually. Thanks for asking. Well,
2: I've got you on today because... You have a, um, I know everyone's going to be surprised by this. You've got a Kickstarter currently going on. Uh,
1: yet another. In- <laughs> but, indeed, yes. But this, um,
2: this one's a little different from your normal era ones that we've had you on before to talk about.
1: So what is this Kickstarter? This is the Battlecruiser Alamo Kickstarter, and yeah, you're right, it's a little different because whenever I usually run a Kickstarter, whether it's a comic or it's a role-playing game, it's something that I created, you know, I created a universe, I I created the, you know, the, the characters that are in it, and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, I've worked with other people, you know, I've had a team to help, but uh, it's really been my And this is the first time that we've actually gone out and we've, um, we've actually licensed uh, a property, uh, which is the Battlecruiser Alamo uh, series of novels. Now, I and also several other members of my team are a really big fan of these. Um, we love these books. And uh, when the possibility arose for us to go ahead and get hold of this property and make a role-playing game, uh, you know, we jumped to the chance. It was uh, it was an amazing opportunity. It's, um, for those of you who don't know, the Battlecruiser Alamo novel series, it's now, I believe it's 38 or 39 novels. Oh, wow. Not including spin-offs, um, because there are several spin-offs as well. Uh, Richard Tong, who is the writer, is a very, very prolific, and uh, and it's got this immensely detailed military sci-fi universe uh, with a really interesting kind of take on what it's like to live within this uh, this military faction, uh, the Triplanetary Confederation. And um, what what we decided to do with this game is is bring some unique mechanics ideas that we've been sort of toying with for a little while, um, and bring those in and actually place them as a core mechanic of the game. And I've asked I've asked everyone uh, that I could think of, and no one's ever really heard of the mechanics that we use in this being core mechanics in any other game. So you know it's sort of interesting and, and a little bit different. So,
2: I've looked at your Kickstarter page for this, and I think I got kind of a, a
1: hint of that. So, I said the core mechanics are different. That's slightly misleading. All of the mechanics that, that operate, you know, for the roles and so on, if you know the Era D10 rule set, it's all exactly the same, right? Uh, you, okay. you could almost, you know, grab the consortium rulebook and refer to something, and you'd probably be about 90% chance to be right, Okay so this is the same you know and so on but what we've done rather than sort of changing the dice rules which we feel are you know very established you know Era of the Consortium's really a comparatively successful game Um, you know we've got a lot of fans and and a lot of people like the rule set so rather than trying to change that what we've done is we've added some new elements which give you this new feel to the game and there are a couple of things which which do that so there's um first of all there's the characters and the way the character sheets work Mm -hmm. you don't play one character in this game you play two so you play an officer that is on board the ship um you know they will participate in space combat they'll be in command of an area whether that's tactical or security uh security in this universe is actually computer hacking you know cyber security um, or they might be the executive officer in, char- in charge of making sure that various other things are, uh, are working and the captain's orders are carried out. Or they might be maybe the navigation officer, or and so on. Right? Okay. So there are a lot of different choices, and um, you you can play as all of these all of these positions uh, within space combat or or you know during day to day activity of the ship. So that's the first half of your character. The second half of your character is what's called an espatier. It's basically a space marine. Um, Think Starship Troopers rather than perhaps Warhammer 40,000. You know, they're they're the guys who go into the thick of it and probably get killed. You know, like 80% chance you don't come back. And uh, these, these, uh, these espatiers are, well, pretty hardcore, to be honest. And you play these guys as the other half of your character. You know, that means several things because it means that you aren't just stuck with one character and going, uh... But, you know, I'm kind of bored of this now. You know, you have the opportunity to do two completely, completely different personalities. You could do one who's, you know, an intellectual, maybe a bit of a pacifist. Maybe they're the navigation officer and they, you know, they're part of a military organization because they want to, you know, sort of explore space. But really, there'd be no good at all in a fight. And then, you know, your espatier, on the other hand, is a complete meathead who can't wait to charge into combat. And it it gives you, secondly, it gives you this opportunity. Uh, A lot of my players have more than one good idea when they they are ready to start a new game. Mm -hmm. And uh, it gives you the opportunity to do both, right? You go, oh, wow, I have this really awesome idea. And I have this really awesome other idea. And I have to choose. And suddenly you don't have to anymore.
2: Okay. Now when, when you're making these two characters, because um, it looked like is is it that both the characters are, are kind of taking up the same uh, character sheet? Is that what I saw?
1: Yeah, bo- both characters on the character sheet, there's sort of a top half and a bottom half. Okay. Um, and the top half is the officer and the bottom half is the espatier. It's it's really very visually simple. Anyone who hops on the Kickstarter and has a look, uh, you can find an example video of me um, doing a character creation under uh, your character. And right below that, there's even actually a link to uh, to open up the character sheet. Um, it opens up as an image, and, and you can. Uh, oh no, it doesn't. I'm sorry. It opens up a, a free page on our store where you can download uh, where you can download it.
2: Okay, that's right. So that you can follow along with the, the video.
1: Exactly. You know. I mean, I've got to be honest. The video is not the. It's not very easy to get a really really clear video of what a character sheet looks like, and where right. you can see all the words. So you know, I've explained it as I've gone through this through this fifteen-minute video. It, it really takes me about five minutes to make an entire character, you know, and and I, I'm explaining it in this video, so I'm going quite slowly. <laughs> um, so it takes me about fifteen to make both halves of the character.
2: Okay, which is still which is still pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, it's it's not it's not slow. It, you really can get through it quite quickly. Okay, uh, which is an advantage because the asmatier is quite likely to die, as I said. So you make. <laughs> you may find that you end up, you end up making you a relatively frequently. Now that's something that, that I really wanted to maintain because it's very, very much a core aspect of the novels. The, the espatiers really have a ridiculous, ridiculous death rate. Um, oh. if, if you don't die outright, then medical science in this universe has a very good chance of saving your life. But in reality, you've got a very good chance of dying outright.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, because I, I was going to ask if um, are you drawing from the same? Um, well, I didn't know if making the two the Kutu two characters uh, how much related as far as uh, your points and such for for
1: for spacing those out those characters. So the, they're actually totally separate. Um, you're able to you're able to make them very similar or very different. In fact, in the one I did here, um, I think I did the security officer and then I did a combat hacker. So they were very, very similar characters and they actually had a very, very similar stat balance. You can equally do something totally different if you want.
2: Okay. That's very cool. I like that. So with this, is there gonna be then some some ship to ship battle or some some you know, space battles with the ship versus versus the Asmatias is going in and, and having and your your typical uh you know, player versus other creatures NPCs. kind of thing?
1: Yeah. Um, Absolutely, and and the reason that the character sheet is sort of structured like this is so that you can do both, right? Uh, Definitely a factor in the novels is, you know, while the Espatiers are fighting off whatever, or maybe they're boarding another ship or or whatever, you know, the, the, the two ships are fighting. So the officers will have something to do, and the Espatiers will have something else to do. They might be down on the planet's surface fighting a completely different battle that's unrelated to the space battle. Right. Oh, okay, okay. Um and you can do that and you can even interleave the combat if that's the way you want to tell the story. Or equally you can go, Okay, well this session we're gonna do the Espatias and next session we'll do the officers. Okay. Well, so it's really, it, it gives the GM a lot of flexibility for the way they want the story to sort of unfold and the way they want mm-hmm. threats to come at the party. One of the things I like to do is actually sort of flick between them quite frequently mm-hmm. because it makes players feel a lot more set upon. Okay. You know. Not, not only is are the Espatiers on the ground, they're struggling with the natives who are, who have opened fire on them for no reason when they tried to land, but on the ship, uh, the first officer has decided. Ah, actually, no, I'm not interested in in being ordered by the uh, triplanetary confederation structure. We're going to mutiny and take this ship for ourselves. All of my faction. I should say the triplanetary confederation is a relatively new structure. Uh, this 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 rulebook is based on the first three books of his series. And one of the really, really prominent themes in those is that the Triplanetary Confederation is trying to pull itself apart. You know, Mars, Callisto, Titan, and the asteroid belt, you know, are the the four people in this confederation. Mm -hmm. And um, they don't like each other, to say the least. And they definitely don't trust each other. So when the Callistans, who really, you know, they're a lot more formal, you know, they're, they're kind of very formal military, and Mars... Uh, and especially titan who are very very informal mars is kind of the middle ground and 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 the Callistans are looking at these other two and going you're complete jokers why are you not you know why are you not taking this seriously and um you know at at one point uh, i don't want to spoil the books too much but at one point (laughs) yeah there is a mutiny um and and you know you don't have any idea who's on whose side someone tries to kill the captain you know um all of this stuff is going on, and at the same time, the Espatiers are down on the planet trying to survive themselves. You know, they were fired on as they landed, and, and you know, they then have to figure out what's going on on this planet and how they can deal with that. So, you know, you you can make the players feel very set-upon from all angles by going, okay, and we're going to pause that down on the planet for a minute, and we'll go back to the mutiny on the ship. Because, you know, the the Triplanetary Confederation, no one trusts each other, as I said, and everyone's really looking to be the dominant force within this new faction and you know for example the callistons don't like that someone mm-hmm. from mars was made the captain and you know the the you know maybe the titanians don't like that the, the Callistans have the first officer yeah it, it it's not fair you know but then how do you know when you only have one starship how do you how do you do any better than that right um this however is set a little later than that um so there are six total starships of this class. Um, Battlecruiser Alamo is one of them. Uh, they're called the Thermopylae class of battlecruisers, and they're all named after hopeless battles like Thermopylae and, <laughs> and Alamo. And, um, nice, nice. The okay. idea is that you will, you'll board one of the other ones, um, and there's very, very little mention of those in the, in the books. They all follow the Battlecruiser Alamo's adventures uh, rather than all of the others. So you'll get to hop on board one of those of your choice, and you'll head out into parts of space that are not explored by the novels. But And here's where, here's where the game becomes really quite remarkable, even for a licensed property. <laughs> Richard Tung, the writer, has written all of the locations, all of the um, secrets of the setting, all of the faction descriptions, all of that stuff, right? Even short stories that explain what it's like to live in this universe. He's contributed over a hundred thousand words to this book. Wow. And uh, you know, he he has made this book. He's made it in the style that a lot of my usual sort of backers and fans will be used to, because he structured it the way I would structure a book. But he's done it in such a way that it captures the essence of this universe in a way that I couldn't. It wouldn't matter if I read every single book fifty times. (laughs) Um, the writer knows things that I don't, and that's just that's just the reality. And you don't, when you license property, you know, if you look at Doctor Who or Lord of the Rings or, you know, uh, Conan or anything, you don't get that kind of insight. Right, right. I have a lot of respect for all of those games. They've really captured the essence, in my opinion. But how can you capture the essence in the way that the writer would do it? Well, only if the writer does it. Right, and and that's one place where I think we have been really, really fortunate. Richard has been so engaged with this project, and and so willing to put time and effort into making sure that this book is is perfect.
2: That that sounds really cool. I like the fact that uh, yeah, that you've that you got the authors um, not just not just his insight, and not just uh, having to to kind of figure out well, what what he have done, but but he's actually contributing stuff to it. Um, a lot of stuff to it. <laughs> That's very cool. That sounds really, really exciting, actually, yeah.
1: Dara said it, it gets even better <laughs> because the artist who's done all of the covers for all of the books mm-hmm. um has also done all of the artwork. Oh, wow. very nice. So everything, absolutely everything apart from the rules and the stuff that's been contributed sort of by shades of vengeance to the mix mm-hmm. has been done by the team who make the novels. Oh, so wow. if you're, if you're a fan of the novels or if you think you might be a fan of the novels, you, you, you are going to love this book. Um, Richard even describes it as the definitive guide to the battlecruiser Alamo universe, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's sort of got bits and pieces on his blog, but he's never sat down and just written out, this is what this universe is like. This is everything about this faction. This is everything about this location. Here are some places where you've never been and you know nothing about.
2: That's really cool. That's really great. Especially for, um, because this way, you know, he's 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 probably already plotted a lot, a lot of this stuff out anyways. Or if he hadn't, he's been thinking about it. and And so this is just an excuse for him to... To, have fun. to really have fun and get honest. a lot of this down. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah no, I mean, uh, you're absolutely right. He's a very, very organized person. He thinks his books through very, very carefully. He, he, uh, uh, he He's quite like me in that sense because when I create a universe, you know, I'm very, very, I've got loads of attention to detail. I'm really, really careful about what comes across and what doesn't. And I'm very careful to make sure that the right themes that I want to grab, you know, do, do come across properly. Mm-hmm. And Richard very much uh, has a similar approach to me. Um, you know, he's got things planned or, you know, uh, sort of headcanon events that happen that probably never will be mentioned in the novels because they don't need to be. Okay. And this is a great chance for him to sort of put them down, put them in there. you know, yeah. get, get on paper and get them out there because that's, that's one of the curses of being a, a creator and a writer. You never get to have all of your ideas out there.
2: Right. You, you end Just up, yeah.
1: Practical.
2: Yeah. You, you kind of have to fill in the you fill in the blanks, you, you, you sort of go, well, this is the way all this kind of went down and nobody's going to know this except for me because that's not the story that I'm trying to tell right now. Yeah. But I have to make this up for myself at least so that I,
1: so that I can understand what the motivations are behind the characters. Right.
2: Right. This is a really neat project. I I like the sound of this um, just in general. So even if, even if you're not a a fan of the novels uh, maybe because you, Maybe because you haven't heard of them yet, um, mm-hmm. this probably will will make you want to check them out.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, um, this this book is a standalone guide to the to the solar system and the way of feeling, mm-hmm. and sort of the, the primary the primary themes of this game. You know, they're military sci-fi. You know, it's it's conspiracies around every corner. It's uh you know trying to explore space when you know there are two other factions out there the united nations of earth and and the lunar republic neither of whom really want you to succeed either <laughs> you know um they're all trying to subvert the you know and turn the triplanetary confederation against itself you know all, all of these things are all going on all at the same time and it's it's a brilliant little melting pot and if you are interested in novels uh richards just put them on sale um so they're on amazon and they're actually linked in the kickstarter um, as of recording, they're on sale. I know that that sale ends very quickly, so please forgive me if it's actually ended before <laughs> this gets out. It is a possibility, um, but all three books are still uh, are still linked on the Kickstarter, and you can get hold of them. Um, they're, they're a pretty reasonable price, to be honest, for a for a full length novel. Um, they're only they're only about uh, uh, two ninety nine pounds. That's uh, maybe five dollars. Yeah, something like that um, for the e books. <clears throat> um, so, I mean, you know, that's, that's not particularly expensive. Um, and, yeah, as I say, you, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading them. Um, and you can play, you know, that universe. And really, as this is our first licensed property, the thing that's mattered most to us about this and getting it right has been how do we capture the feel of this universe and make sure that when you play, you feel like you're, you're playing in this universe. So, you know, there's this double character thing, which really is absolutely vital because of the death rate of the Aspatias that I mentioned earlier. (laughs) There is this, um, you know, there's a lot of advice for the GM about conspiracies, um, about who might backstab who and why. There's even secrets of the setting, stuff about aliens, uh, because aliens exist in this universe, but humanity just has never been able to have contact with them in any meaningful way. You know, you have first contact and neither of you speak the same language, so after a few hours you get bored and go and do whatever it is that you were gonna do anyway. <laughs> right? I, I always think of it a bit like um Darmok from T N G, uh, Star Trek the Next Generation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the the episode where they rock up and they're they're like chatting to this this captain and he's like, Oh, uh blah blah blah. Darmok and Jalard at Tanagra. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and they're like I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, it doesn't make any sense <laughs> um, because it's so conceptually different. Um, you know, that's that's it's one of my favourite episodes of of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and um, you know, this is very much the kind of first contact that humanity's had with aliens in this universe. It's it's not even as as advanced as that because they don't even have a universal translator. They're, they're just they're just stuck. <laughs> so they're like, "Hi, aliens." How you doing? <laughs> that's great. I'm very happy for you. You know, like, like how, how do you how do you carry on first contact when you have no equal point of reference? <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, that's a that's a really really interesting little quirk of the setting, which is explained within the GM section of this book. Let's let's
2: talk a little bit more about the the actual Kickstarter itself, because sure. I know as of this recording, the the Kickstarter is currently funded. Yes, um, it is. so so first off, when is when is the Kickstarter ending? Uh,
1: so as of recording, it's 15 days. That's Sunday, April the 29th at 9 p.m. BST. Uh, that's about five hours ahead of EDT.
2: I've I've looked at yeah. the different the different levels. There's some 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 very nice levels set up. So that if you just want digital, there's there's plenty of of digital only stuff. I've noticed you you you're doing the. You're doing kind of what what you what you normally do. You have the the setting book, and it looks like you have the um, the main book that has everything in it, and you have a player's guide, if I'm not mistaken.
1: That's right. So actually, the setting guide is a relatively new addition to the to the levels. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't initially my plan, but um, one of the things that Richard said is, "Look, um, what what if some of the guys who like the novels come in, and they're they're not role players, but they're really really interested in." Getting hold of this definitive guide to the setting, and uh, I said, okay, well, yeah, okay. I mean, it's not—it's not hard to split out that part of the book, you know. Uh, I'm pretty sure we can do that, and I'm pretty sure it would still look fantastic. So, uh, you know, we decided, okay, we'll, we'll do that. We'll—we'll we'll put in this setting guide, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll—we'll we'll offer this as a digital-only thing. It doesn't. This one doesn't come in paperback, so it's really just like the books. But yeah, it's uh, it's 92,000 words or so, um, all in the digital, digital format. And uh, then we have the player's guide, as we always do, which is everything that you need in order to play the game.
9: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it's got the rules, it's got the character creation, it's got a brief introduction to the universe, a- and that's it. Okay. And then, you know, that comes in both digital and paperback. And then we have the core rulebook, which, as you say, it contains everything. It's got the setting, it's got the rules, it's got the... Uh, all of the GM stuff, it's got all of the equipment, it's got absolutely everything you could want. So you know I mean the, the ideal is often sitting around the table with uh, you know with a with a the GM has a core rulebook, and the players have the players' guides. And in fact, to, to support that, we've actually even put a put a tier in there for sixty pounds uh, called the GM's bundle which gets you the Alamo core rulebook and three players guides. I saw that uh, I thought that was really uh, nice. And uh, you know I mean I mean this is my attempt to go okay look I I get that some people you know they they want to you know they want to create four or five characters at at a, at a time. Mm-hmm. You know you're going to need a lot of a lot of uh, players guides to do that unless you're going to hand the rulebook around to absolutely everybody. So you know we we we're, we're pleased to be able to offer that you know at a at a nice little discount so that you can get Sort of the bundle all at once, and and have your group catered for.
2: That's very cool. I like. I said now, I, I saw that, and I thought that was really nice. I really like. And that. then, and
1: then finally, we've got the we've got the hardback. So Richard and I are going to be meeting up at UK Games Expo in uh, in June, and uh, we're hoping to have the book finished by then, so that uh, he and I can sit down and and sign as many of the collectors editions mm-hmm. as ordered. <laughs> um, and, uh, and 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 we, we, we intend to sit down, sign those and uh, and then get them get them shipped out.
2: Oh, very uh,
1: cool. So although, you know, we've committed to December and, and uh, again, a lot of people who back a lot of my kickstarters will already be aware. I put in a date that I know is safe, that I know I can deliver to no matter what goes wrong. But the reality is Richard's written his part of the book. I've written my part of the book. I need to edit Richard's part of the book. Um, you know, I mean. A, a one time by a writer, you know, there, there's a limit to what you can do. And he does two passes on everything he does. Mm-hmm. So he does a first pass and then, and then just a double check. And, you know, I want to go over it once more before the proofreaders go over it. Um, and then literally the book just needs a quick set of layout from, from Keith, who's also the artist, hmm. um, and also our standard layout guy. So he's laid out all of our books and, and was here, uh, not too long ago talking about era, empowered. Uh, he's also the artist for era, empowered, so he and I work, you know, we've, we've been working together for a long time. He's been working with Richard for a long time. And uh, yeah, we, we, we work very well together. So I'm really, really confident that getting it done by mid-year is, is an achievable goal. W- whether it's by UK Games Expo is perhaps a little more of a question. We want it to be. That's certainly the goal we're aiming for. But I know that December 2018 is absolutely achievable. There is no question in my mind. <laughs> it cannot take that long. <clears throat> So, and as I said, most people who, who back my Kickstarters are very, very familiar with this concept that I, you know, I, I'm a project manager in real life. Um, I, I manage software developers. Okay. And um, I, I, I'm therefore used to working with timelines. I'm used to working with contingency and making sure that, you know, when, when I make a commitment, it can be reached.
2: Gotcha. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I understand that completely.
1: <laughs> and I, I, think, I think that's very, very important and increasingly important on Kickstarter because Kickstarters often don't make their goals. Oh, and yeah, yeah. I would like to think that I've become, uh, you know, that Shades of Vengeance in general, and me in particular when I'm managing the projects, that, that we've become something, you know, that, that bucks that trend, that, you know, we, we do deliver on time. You guys definitely do. Of course, if you're brand new to both Battlecruiser Alamo and the Era D10 rule set, um, and I know, John. Of course, you on, and many of your listeners will have heard about it before. But mm-hmm. maybe this is the one that tips you over. Um, you can actually get hold of all of our other books uh, by way of add-ons from this Kickstarter. So, era the consortiums available, era liars, era survival, era silence, all of them. So, if you want to get those, you know, you can save yourself a little bit of shipping because we can bundle them in with uh, with the Alamo rulebook. And, uh, and you can actually get hold of, of, you know, our sci-fi epic, Era of the Consortium. You can go fantasy with Era Liars. You can hop into survival horror with Era Survival. And as with all of those games, uh, the Alamo rules are equally transferable into those games. So if you decided that you wanted to have in, the, in your Era of the Consortium game, if you wanted to have, you know, sort of a disposable uh, squad that sat alongside the, you know, the main character that you have, you could very easily pick up a battle cruiser Alamo character sheet, use those secondary rules and then go ahead and and have this sort of suicide squad for lack of a better phrase, um, <laughs> who, who, who will run in and and do whatever is necessary to make sure that you succeed. So, and, and equally, if you decide that you want to have survival horror in the battle cruiser Alamo universe, you can pull over the rules about limited ammunition and, Penalties for resting, and so on, and so on. So you know all of these, all of these books, and and this is maintained with Alamo. Um, they they're all cross compatible and interconnected. It, Alamo is not based, I should say. Alamo is not based in the Era Universe, obviously, um, because the Era Universe is sort of my specific creations. But all of the rules can be transferred. Very cool.
2: So if you wanted to have a story where a bunch of uh, spacefaring folk are, are hanging out at a space station. Tell, trying to impress the, the other people there with, with crazy stories. you could work in liars that way too. Right?
1: You absolutely could. and that would be awesome. I, I think that would be brilliant. Um, there's a particular station which uh, the image the image just makes me think of exactly that you know that was the f- it was the front cover of the, uh, of the novel uh, called Spitfire Station and uh, yeah no, it 100 percent makes me think of exactly that. That guy is sat there telling people about stories of how brilliant he is. <laughs> that could be pretty awesome.
2: Well, cool. All right. Well, um, again, uh, thank you, Ed, for, for coming on and, and talking with us, uh, this time you've been talking with us about the new, your Kickstarter for battle cruiser Alamo based off of the, the novels by, uh, Richard Tung.
9: Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: That's right. Yep. So, so go out there and check that out on Kickstarter. It, uh, it has until around april 28th i believe if you 29th said? april 29th,
1: 29th. yeah
2: <clears throat> in fact checking out checking out by april 28th that way you're definitely
1: going to indeed you don't you that. don't want to miss this one because uh, uh, because it's a licensed property we're under a slightly more <laughs> restraint about how we're allowed to sort of sell it so yeah if you want to get hold of it i do strongly recommend that you check out uh, that you check out the kickstarter
2: well, uh, thanks for joining us again, Ed.
1: Thank you very much for having me, and it's a pleasure to be back. I'm pretty sure I'll be back again before too much longer. <laughs>
2: awesome. Cass has
0: board game reviews for you, yeah. We've got the good, bad, and other stuff to tell you. So listen up to our board game reviews. you are really like it, or I'll make you eat your shoe. Sure- <laughs> Noir of
5: Indines by Level 99 Games, players 2 to 4, ages... no ages listed. Um, Time, 5 to 15 minutes. Indines needs you. A mysterious figure has been stalking around Indines with only one thing on their mind, murder. Take on the role of some Indines most iconic figures as you race to apprehend the killer before we can add you to the list of victims. Noir is a game of cat and mouse where killer and inspector face off in a high-stakes duel of wits. It takes only five minutes to learn and ten minutes to play. To keep the game, box packet-sized, we put the game rules online.
2: And playing this game and reviewing it was myself, John,
5: Ruby,
6: and Matthew.
2: Cool, so... <laughs> something good. Yeah, what's something good we can say about? Uh, noir Vendimes.
5: It's a lot of fun, and I like the artwork.
6: Yeah, we played the three-player game, and it was just a lot of, of fun <laughs> trying yeah. to deduce who each other was, and yeah. Uh, not being right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it also gives a lot of different options, uh, different types of role of gameplay. Correct. We had three players, so we kind of had to play the three player one. Right.
5: Apparently there are two player version rules and four player version rules as well.
2: Yeah.
5: Um, And it changes what the type of game is. So you're not always playing the the cat and mouse spy, which we were playing spy tag.
2: Right. Right. Which was fun. yeah.
5: Yeah. Um, I will say about the cards, they're good quality, they don't feel like they're going to come apart easily, they, yeah. won't, they don't oh, feel yeah. like they're going to separate, and the little tuck box that it's in is looks nice it's and sturdy. It's
2: fairly solid, yeah. Yeah, it's small, it can fit in your pocket. Take it yeah. wherever you want. And it really did take about five minutes to learn. Yep.
5: Yeah. It did take longer than ten minutes to play, though, because, okay. well, apparently
2: we're slow. Well, would that go in the bad category? Yeah. Not
5: necessarily.
2: I think we could put that in the bad category. It could, it because
5: it's not, it's, the listed time is ten minutes. Exactly. Fifteen minutes versus. Right.
2: And you get some, you get some, uh, some hardcore gamers on this. However,
5: if you were playing a two-player version, it could only be ten minutes.
2: Right. All right, okay. So, maybe. maybe
5: the version we were playing does take longer.
2: So so what's what's some bad stuff we can say about uh, whatever this is. Noir of indians. In-dines. Haven't
6: well, first the time may or may not be misleading depending on what okay. else. There thing.
5: are other board games that do that, based yeah. on if it's a two player game or a four player game, the time is different, but they only print the slowest amount of time.
6: Yeah. Okay, okay. But the Biggest negative for me was figuring out the rules and which rules to use <laughs> yeah. and okay. whether or not we had to play to go
2: on the internet. Or, right. Yeah. yeah.
6: Okay.
2: So what about in the other category? Matt, you had some really interesting thing to say about the other category. About what this game might have been actually based off of. That oh, you were looking at on yeah. your phone right now. Yes.
6: <laughs> so in the other category. Um,
5: This is a pocket version of?
6: Yeah, a pocket version of Noir, a deductive mystery game. Uh, That is in fact the PDF rulebook that I, the only PDF rulebook online that I was
2: able to find.
5: Well, on the box Um, it actually has the QR code which will take you to a tutorial video.
2: But it looked like answer. it looked like right. the rules were pretty succinct yeah. on the actual oh, yeah. cards yeah, yeah, itself. Like so. once
6: you actually sit down and play the game, the cards are the cards explain themselves. Yeah. It's just so. okay. making it work.
2: So anything else? <laughs>
6: Um, No, it was fun. It's definitely pocket-sized. Well,
5: when we were looking for the rules, apparently this is based off of a world, so there are other games by level 99 that are in this world of Undines. Uh, So there's there's other versions, not just of this card game, but other games as well. Okay. So that's kind of a neat... Yeah.
2: Okay. So again, this was Noir of Undines by level 99 games. See if you can find... The Spy. The Spy. Bzzz. scare for 2018 is still going strong stronger than uh expected for day two early in the morning <laughs> 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 and i've got uh, doug sitting here at the table with me how's it going doug very well sir i understand you you have a game that you wanted to talk to me about i do okay so what what game do you want to talk about that would right. be roll for it deluxe okay and deluxe because it's in a it's in a tin and it has a whole bunch of other stuff. In it. Uh-huh. So, tell me something good about roll for it.
4: It is very easy to learn, uh, mm-hmm. just sitting down and never having played it before. And uh, yeah, I, that that was when I was wanting to play a lot of yeah. different games that made it made it
2: very advantageous. Okay. Um, anything bad you want to say about Roll For It? It doesn't have a lot of strategy, and it doesn't take a very long time if you're wanting to really sit
4: down and get involved in a game. But it's it's good okay. for a fast-paced, quick
2: game. Yeah, yeah. there's there's not a lot of uh, thinkiness to it. <laughs> <laughs> anything in the other category that you want to say about Oh, yes. About Roll it for has it? an awesome dice bag. It does? Uh,
4: you might want to buy the game just for the dice bag <laughs> and, and make use of it in other ways.
2: And it, and it has a lot of... Uh, a lot of colored uh, dice in it, too. It does. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, I know, a bit of a short interview, but that's fine. It was a short game. It is. So, thanks for talking to me about Roll For It. And You're welcome. And that's the deluxe one. Mm-hmm. So, hello again. I have another con attendee with me who uh, was just playing some games, and she wants to talk about it. Uh, so, hey, Jennifer. How are you doing?
10: I'm doing well. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. So I understand that you just played a game called Roll For It. I did. So uh, did you have fun playing Roll For It?
10: I really enjoyed it, yes.
2: Okay. Well, why don't you tell me something good about Roll For It?
10: Um, I think it's really easy to understand. Anyone mm-hmm. can play it. Um, you don't have to be able to read, so you can play it even with small children as long as they can count.
2: Okay. And I understand this was the actually the Roll For It Deluxe. Yes. Which, so that's the one that comes in the little tin. and
10: Yes. Absolutely,
2: and a, and a ton of dice, and stuff yes. like that. Okay, <laughs> uh, so uh, can you tell us something maybe bad about Roll for It?
10: It was very simple, and I could see it if you played it more multiple times, it would get repetitive.
2: Okay, I could see that too. Um, I know when we played it, our, our big gripe was the, the the teeny tiny dice. But I, I think if they were too big, if they were bigger than that, it would have made that game a little bit harder to play.
10: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
2: So what, can you throw something in there in the other category for Roll For It?
10: Um, I would say that I like the card artwork. Um, I've seen other okay. versions, so I like that there's, um, in the deluxe version, there's two different decks, so mm-hmm. you can play with a smaller group, or you can combine the decks to play with a much larger group. And I think it's a lot more fun with more players.
2: I can see that. I can totally see that. All right, well, well thank you for, for talking with us about your experience playing Roll For It playing Roll For It Deluxe at Scarab Gaming Con, Jennifer. Thank you. Yeah. So we are still here at Scarab Gaming Convention, and I have Jennifer, who's sitting who's sitting here, and she wants to talk about a game she just played, or she's played today, actually. Mm-hmm. So what game did you, did you play that you want to talk about?
10: Um, I played a game called Santa Bag. Okay. And it's designed for children, but mm-hmm. um, it's really fun for adults. Okay. So
2: did you? So you had fun playing it? Then I take. It? Uh,
10: yeah, we really enjoyed it. There's a lot of strategy involved uh-huh. in um, saving the parts, so <laughs> <Right>. you can <laughs> kind of determine whether you want to go for naughty children or nice children.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> what's something good you can say say for us about Santa's bag?
10: Um, I would say it's really simple to learn, but it has a deeper strategy, so it can be interesting for all ages.
2: Okay. And something bad about Santa's bag.
10: Um, it's based on the look of the draw, so it could be, you know, if you're not a super lucky person, it may not be a great game for you.
2: <laughs> yeah. That, that was our experience playing it too. Yeah. <laughs> we, we kept getting a lot of, a lot of low numbered, uh, kids that came out all the time who wanted really complicated toys. And oh
10: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we had trouble. We realized that there were only like two or three plastic in the yes. deck. Yes. So that was very challenging.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, so what can you say that might go into the other category for this game?
10: Um, I, I liked the art, and I liked the design. Um, I liked the emotions of the kids that kind of <laughs> told you whether they were naughty or nice. Yes, so I yeah. enjoyed the artwork. <laughs>
2: awesome. Well, thank you for for, for talking to me about, about your experience playing Santa Bag, uh, Jennifer. Thank and you. And I hope you have more fun at Scarab Gaming Convention this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Oh, as I bought them reviews from the slum Cast. If you don't like it, I'ma come over a chictor.
2: Tail! Tail! <laughs> Toast meant to say tail. Toast one. Ooh. Why do you do that?
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
2: Bzzzz. <sighs> <sighs>
0: Well, everybody, the show's finally over. That's it. You can go back to your normal life again, though it's probably never going to be the same. You can find the Swarmcast podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Tell us what you think. Heck give us a good review on either iTunes and Tuned In, Stitcher, heck, I think we're putting stuff out on YouTube now, if that's kind of your thing. Anyway, subscribe, like, whatever, all through those different guys. Or you can grab the RSS feed from our website, which is swarmcastpodcast.com. That's all one word. And you can also email us at swarmcastpodcast, again one word, at gmail.com. Why not? Or you can leave us a message at 803-470-4439, and we'll probably play it on the air if you're lucky. Maybe. <laughs> so, until next time, keep on gaming, and when you think of Toast, think of me! <laughs>